if you have your uh, Bibles, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 1, um, looking at verses 1 uh, to 4. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verses 1 uh, to 4. If you're new to using a Bible, um, it's after um, the book of Titus, so it's towards the end of your Bible. Uh, you can find this on page 1001 uh, in the hardback pew Bibles. Hebrews uh, chapter 1. As soon as you are there, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, uh, you may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful that you in your grace and in your mercy have spoken to us, uh, that we stand uh, here as a people who do not have to simply figure you out. Um, we stand here as a people who, who don't have to just make up what God is like in our head, um, but you have given us your words to point to your glory, beauty, majesty, and splendor. Uh, we ask that you would uh, take your word um, and by the power of your spirit, you would show us the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that you would take our eyes off of the situations that we have um, in our lives right now and look to Jesus Christ, the, the founder and perfecter of our faith, um, who, who stands um, as the, the, the true preacher in the room. Um, I pray uh, that I would yield to him. Um, it's in Christ's name we all pray. Amen. On uh, April 8th, uh, 19, oh, April 8, 2007, uh, there was a man uh, by the name of Gene uh, Weingarten, a, a journalist from the Washington Post. Uh, and uh, Mr. Weingarten um, wrote about a social experiment that he conducted in Washington, D.C. And with this social experiment, he wanted to see if people could recognize significant moments that happen in the ordinary and mundane moments in life. He wanted to see if people could, or in this case, hear beauty and glory, even if it was closer than they had ever imagined. He wanted to answer the question, do people have time for beauty? Do people have time to see beauty? In this social experiment, a man walks in and stands on top of the, the stairs at the metro station in D.C. and begins to play his violin. Uh, this is a, a fairly common thing in metro Detroit. Uh, and some people stopped and admired for a few moments. Some rushed past and, and seemed annoyed, and some gave a few dollars. And after about 45 minutes, this man picked up his violin and left. 
And what people did not realize that this, uh, this musician was the, na- was the musician named Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell at this time would have been known as the top violinist in the country. A couple of days before this experiment, Joshua Bell sold out the Symphony Hall in Boston where nosebleed seats costed about $100. The music that he played was some of the finest pieces known to man, and the violin that he played on was estimated to be worth about $3.2 million. And as I've read this story this week, I've wondered how could they have not known whom they were seeing or hearing? Did they expect him to be something different? Was he packaged differently than they anticipated? What kept them from seeing the worth, majesty, beauty, and splendor that was in front of them? It is my conviction that this is how we enter the Advent season looking at Jesus. The the, the same way that the crowd treated Joshua Bell is the same way that unfortunately both non-Christians and even Christians treat the Holy Son of God. And one of the reasons that it's so hard for us to grasp and rejoice in the beauty of God taking on flesh is because we forget who this God is. We forget that this God is the one that that angels sing and rejoice. We forget that this is the God that all creation has been worshiping since it was created. And what we come to in the book of Hebrews, we come to a book that has the goal to, to showcase the glory and majesty of this Jesus in the pages of Scripture. If you were to ask me to sum up the entirety of the book of Hebrews, I would tell you that Jesus is better. The, the, the writer of Hebrews wants us to, to see that Jesus Christ is the exalted one above the angels and he should be exalted above all of our situations and circumstances. The, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that, that you and I, what we need most is to see the beauty of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What we don't need is, is, is seven more steps to a healthy walk with Christ. We don't need advice for self-help books. We, we don't need to, to look inside of ourselves. We don't even need more information. We need to see and understand and feel in the deepest part of our being that Jesus Christ is better. Amen. He is a better savior, a better friend, a better Lord. And I want us to see the supremacy and the glory of this baby that we will be worshiping in three ways. I want us to see Jesus Christ as a prophet, Jesus Christ as a priest, And then lastly, Jesus Christ as a king. Jesus Christ as a prophet, Jesus Christ as a priest, and Jesus Christ as a king. First thing we see in our text is Jesus as a prophet. Our text starts off by telling us in verse 1, Long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The writer uh, greets us uh, at the the raising of our text with a a truth that we need to be reminded of is that God has spoken. And this may not shock you this morning. This may not be good news to you. But in this time period, many of the gods that were worshipped were gods who never claimed to be speaking gods. And isn't this true of our own idols? At the end of the day, money cannot tell you words that can comfort your soul once everything is ripped from under you. School popularity cannot give you the ache that you have in your 
heart. Ministry has no words that can to give you comfort when you need it. And Facebook and Instagram likes cannot bear the weight of your soul. The triune God of the Bible, the God of the Christian faith, is a God who has spoken to his people. He has done so, according to the text, in many times and in many ways. It is through God's speaking that he has chosen to reveal himself to his people. You and I do not have to guess or create pictures in our mind of what God is like. He has graciously shown us who he is in his word. He has done this first by speaking through the prophets. The prophets had the role of bringing God's truth to the people. God would approach a prophet and, and summons him to the ministry and would tell him to speak only the words that I have told you to speak. The words that they were speaking were the very words that God had given them. They, in essence, were God's mouthpiece. And whenever the people of God, whenever Israel would, would go wayward and forget how God has dealt with them, he would send a prophet to declare the truth of who he was. He would send them to again reveal himself in part, but not in the whole. It's like the prophets were sent to give a, a portion of God, but were not meant to disclose the fullness of what would have been revealed. Uh, I am a person who loves my wife's baking. I think my wife's one of the, the greatest bakers in the world. And, and what, what she does is that she begins to make uh, these things called cake cookies. And uh, she would mix all of the ingredients. And what she does is she gives me the cookie dough to hold me off for just a little bit, but not give me the fullness of the cookie. The, the, the piece of the cookie, the cookie dough was meant to, to cause me to long for the fullness of the cookie. You, the, the, the smells in the room would rise up and me and my son would get excited. And we did not want just a nibble or a few smells. You see, God sent the prophets, which was meant to create in the people a, a hunger to get the fullness of what the prophets were pointing to. Israel was not meant to, to, to settle on a, a partial revelation of God. They were meant to experience the fullness of it. And praise be to God, the fullness of it came. In verse 2, it says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Times have changed. Post Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, God is no longer speaking to us in fragments. He is speaking clearly through his very son. Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God. This is why in the, the first half of verse three, it says he is the radiance of the glory of God. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. What the writer wants us to know is that all that can be said about God can be said about Jesus. When we look into the manger on Christmas Day, we don't see a, 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 just a cute baby. We see the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in bodily form. Jesus Christ came to make the invisible God visible to his people. This means to know God is to look to Jesus. To see God's beauty and majesty means to look to Jesus. To see his sovereignty, meaning his control over all things, to see his, his wrath and his love and his grace, you need to look no further than the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is our prophet who, according to the second half of verse three, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17, in him all things are held together. Uh, there's a story that has often been told by the, uh, the late evangelist Billy Graham. Uh, the story goes that uh, Billy Graham entered into a, a conversation, was invited to uh, participate in a conversation with a whole bunch of people who were smarter than Billy Graham. And the goal was to make sense of science. They, they were talking about things such as space and matter and the planets, uh, and they were going back and forth of how to articulate these things. But one man stands up and he's being honest. He says, we know how this works, but we don't understand how is it held together. We don't understand how it is continually being sustained in this moment. And Billy Graham, who is uh, humble and being smart in this moment, sits there not saying anything. But when this question comes up, he stands up and he says, I know why it's being held together. It's being held together by Jesus Christ. Why is it that the world is a cosmos and not a chaos? Why is it that the earth remains so, so close enough to the sun where it doesn't freeze up, but far enough that we do not burn up? Why is the sun keep rising in the east and going down in the west? Why is winter, spring, summer, and fall going in order? Why do the flowers keep budding, blooming, fading, and falling? It's because Jesus Christ is holding all things together. And this is not true of just these uh, cosmic realities. These, this is true of your life. How is your marriage still being held together when things are tossing them to and fro? It's because Jesus Christ is holding all things together. How did you wake up this morning and you are still believing in this gospel that is not a popular message? It's because Jesus Christ is holding all things together. How is this church ministry still flourishing Sunday after Sunday? It's because Jesus Christ is holding all things together. This also speaks of the Christ-centered nature of Scripture. This means that no matter where you are in the pages of God's word, Christ himself is speaking. It is to say that all of the Bible is red-lettered. He is the central figure in every single story. No matter where you are, your, your, your heart can be warmed and moved to worship as you see your Savior in these pages. In school, one of my biggest frustrations uh, was learning how to write papers. Uh, I struggled because I could not write a clear and concise thesis statement. Uh, a thesis statement, in a sense, is just the main idea of your paper. If my uh, teacher was reading my paper, she would say that you are struggling to make one clear and concise statement, and this is not true of the Bible. The thesis statement of the Bible is clear. It's Jesus Christ is crucified and raised on behalf of sinners. The entirety of this book about, is about him. In, in Genesis, he is the sovereign creator of the universe. He is the, the promised seed who will crush the head of the serpent. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is the high priest who makes atonement for sin. In Numbers, he is a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. In, in Deuteronomy, he is a prophet who Moses foretold about. In Joshua, he is a conquering ruler. In Judges, he is the great deliverer who has rescued the people. 
In, in Ruth, he is Ruth's kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and 2 Kings, and 1 Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles, he is the rightful ruler of God's people. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he is the builder of the wall. In Esther, he is the monarch who saves the people from coming destruction. In Job, he is the Lord who gives and takes away. He is the one that Job knows that he will see at his resurrection. In the Psalms, he is our worship leader. In, in, in Proverbs, he is wisdom personified. In Ecclesiastes, he is the true source of joy and delight. In Song of Solomon, he is the great lover of our souls. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he is the balm in Gilead. In Lamentations, he is the new mercies that we so desperately need. In Ezekiel, he raises dry bones. In Daniel, he is the conquering son of man. In Hosea, Hosea he is the husband who purchased his wife with the blood, with, uh, with the, the money that he owns. In, in Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, he is the one that all of the prophets pointed to. And the New Testament shows us the unfolding of this promise that Jesus Christ has come to his people. Brothers and sisters, our hearts can be warmed and encouraged as we see Christ unfolded in the scriptures. Our plea as a people when we gather on Sunday morning is the same as John 12, 20. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. God has spoken to us in these last days through his son. Jesus is our prophet who reveals the fullness of our God. The second thing that we see is that Jesus Christ is our priest. Uh, after mentioning the prophetic ministry of Jesus, the writer moves on to discuss the priestly work of Jesus. The middle of verse three says, after making purification for sins. Uh, this word purification is a word that means being cleansed from the guilt of sin. Uh, in the Old Testament, specifically the, the book of Leviticus, we get a job description of the priest. The priests had two important things to do. They offered up sacrifices on behalf of themselves and the people. And then they also served as mediators. They served as the people between God and man. And once a year, the high priest would enter into this place called the Holies of Holies. And he would offer a sacrifice first for himself because he was sinful and then also on behalf of the people. And God institutes this sacrificial system to remind the people over and over again that only the blood of another could atone for their sin. They would be reminded that the forgiveness of sins would have to be based or come through a mediator. And according to this text, Jesus Christ is our priest. Jesus Christ is our priest who has spilled and sacrificed the blood, not of goats and not of animals, but of his very own blood. What can wash away your sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make you whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all of their guilty stains. Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless Lamb of God has stood in the place of sinners to appease God's righteous wrath against us. 
and through his death and through his shed blood, you and I have been forgiven. Notice that verse four says that he sat down. A piece of furniture that would be missing in the house of a priest would be a chair. And, and it would be a chair would be missing because the priest's work was never done. The priest would constantly have to be shedding blood of goats and animals on behalf of the people. But based upon the resurrection of Jesus, it proves that Jesus's work was fully done. It it, it proves that God's wrath was satisfied. And brothers and sisters, it's worth being reminded that our salvation has fully and finally been accomplished by Jesus Christ. There is no other work that is needed. Some of us need to be reminded that our apologies and confessions is not what saves us, but is the blood of Christ alone that saves us. Some of us need to be reminded that God has forgiven us, that God does not look at you as a a judge seeking to sentence you, but he looks at you as a father because you are united to his son by faith. And maybe in this room you're hearing this for the first time. My invitation for you is to to look away from your sin and behold Christ who has stood in your place for sin. Receive his work on your behalf. He, He would love and he is readily and he is able to save. Jesus Christ as our priest has not only secured our salvation, but according to the rest of Hebrews, he is consistently working on our behalf. Currently, Jesus Christ, as a priest, is interceding, praying on behalf of his people. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he is always living to make intercession for them. When you do not know what to pray or you do not know how to pray, Know that Jesus Christ is praying for you. Know that you are still walking in the faith because Jesus Christ is both praying for you personally, but also corporately. So when you receive that, that phone call and it feels like everything has been stripped out from under you and you are feeling the weight of your soul being lost, know that in that moment, Jesus Christ is praying for you. When you are at school and you are feeling the crushing weight of of people who who do not like you for whatever reason, know that Jesus Christ is praying for you. When you are a a tired and weary father and you come in after you get off of work and you feel the weight of not measuring up, know that Jesus Christ is praying for you. As a single person who may be longing for intimacy that comes with marriage and, and you don't know how much longer you can hang on, know that Jesus Christ is praying for you. And, and, and when you feel like everything is being pulled out from under your feet, know that Jesus Christ in that moment is praying that your faith would not fail. Before the throne of God above, we have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Brothers and sisters, the day that Jesus Christ stops praying for you is the day that he ceases to be God. Jesus Christ is our priest. And then lastly, let's look at Jesus Christ as our king. The second half of verse 3 and verse 4 says this, after making purification 
for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Notice that after uh, Jesus rescues the people from their sin, after Jesus makes purification of sin, notice where he sits down. He sits down at the right hand of God. The right hand of God symbolizes his sovereignty, his control over all things, his authority, but ultimately his kingship. By the language of the text, it seems that Jesus's kingship is is most clearly seen in his resurrection from the dead and his return back to his father. Imagine what heaven would have been like when Jesus Christ returned after securing the salvation of his people. Earlier for the call of worship, we read Psalm 25. The second half of 1225 invites us to, to think about what heaven would have been like. It says this, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient of doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the Lord, the king of glory. Jesus Christ is the resurrected king who reigns on behalf of his people. Brothers and sisters, he also doesn't sit on the edge of his seat of his kingdom. He, he, he does not look down on earth and get nervous about how things are going. He, he sits there secure knowing what he is going to do. We may, feel, we may fear what is taking place uh, politically. We may uh, hear rumors of wars and all the things that entail with that. And we may be afraid of what is going on in our nations. But brothers and sisters, we have inherited a kingdom that cannot be shaken because Jesus is our king. Have you ever thought about the, the fact that, that Rome... Uh, one of the, the, the biggest threats and one of the biggest kingdoms known to man and one of the biggest threats to Christianity uh, at one time is now a place where you and I can pay $7 to walk through their ruins. Have you considered the fact that the kingdoms of this world are but footnotes in, in history? Uh, recently, I was reading an article and uh, the writer was suggesting that, that, that Christianity can only flourish if we get the right people in office. And my desire was to sit across from this person and say that our, our churches do not need to flourish under a certain society because Jesus Christ is our king. All other kingdoms will fail one day, but what will be standing will be the church. Notice that in all of the rubble of these kingdoms, the church is still flourishing because Jesus is our eternal king who will reign for his people eternally in this kingdom. Even the gates of hell shall not prevail. And notice that Jesus Christ has also inherited a name that is more excellent than the angels. In fact, he has inherited, according to Philippians chapter 2, a name that is above every name, a name that eventually every knee will bow to, down to, and a name that will ring out through all of creation. Brothers and sisters, this Advent season, this Christmas, is a time for much rejoicing. 
It is a time where we celebrate Christ, our prophet, priest, and king who rules on behalf of his people, has taken on flesh to rescue his people from sin and death. And my prayer for us and my application for us is not seven things to do. My prayer is that our homes during this season would be filled with singing, that we would get lost in the wonder of God who is faithful to his promises. And don't allow the season that that keeps intensifying and gets busier every time something goes on and allows you to numb you to the reality that Christ is standing before you this day. He is none other than our prophet, our priest, and king. Let's go to him and pray.